Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I am David Aldridge, rejoined by my man Waz Lambray after a week off. Waz, it wasn't the same without your boy last week. We got through it, but wasn't the same. Oh man, that's that's too too kind of you to say. And obviously, <laughs> I, you know, professionally, I feel like what we're doing is is fun and 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 informative, and I think we're doing a good job at what we're asked to do here in this space. But personally, I, I know that I just love talking to you, talking to Jade. Obviously, we got Mike on to. Um, today but i just love being able to catch up download it's just something it becomes a ritual right part of our routine Absolutely. and in this job and in our lives so obviously i missed last week but i'm happy to be back you know recipes to my brother michael brooks the fight continues um he had a beautiful service out in western mass i don't know if you've ever been to western mass around amherst david but it's very serene and very green and rural mm-hmm. And, the, you know, right. the service was out in this outdoor space, open air, rolling hills. It was just beautiful. Okay. Mike was a Buddhist, so That's it was great. like a, a Buddhist service. And I'd never been to anything Buddhist related. And I felt very moved and right. touched by the entire experience. So I'm just happy I was able to do that, give my brother a, a proper send off. And, you know, like I said, we move on. The work continues. You know, he's in our hearts always. But, you know, I'm happy to be back. Happy the NBA is back. Um, it's, it's, man, I, you know, two things. Well, the first thing that I noticed, DA, is that the intensity of these games are, are at an incredibly high level. Um, yeah. more, so, I've, more, yeah, I've been surprised. A yeah. higher level than would be expected. Remember the NBA ended in March and we know March games are yeah. bullshit. <laughs> like these games, <laughs> these games are at such a high level. Um, I was just right. so struck by that. Pres- pleasantly surprised by that. And you know, we know about the big three. I love the the Laker Clipper game. Just set the right tone for the season opening back up. I thought I thought both teams looked pretty good. Um, Paul George looks amazing. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I think you know everybody knows they're part of the cream of the crop. Uh, Milwaukee looking vulnerable. You know, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. You know, Bledsoe's not there. Little yet. bit, you know, and Connaughton's not there. Sure, yet. sure, just a little bit. I'm not saying they're gonna lose bit. in the first round or anything like that, right, but I'm right. like, okay, you know, we're seeing some things, and you know, I don't see how you can't be impressed by what Houston's done. You know, um, yeah, yeah. It, like yeah. They're, they're flying around on defense. I think the offensive stuff is predictable, right? It's like you spread it out. You let Westbrook and Harden operate in the one-on-one, they're going to be successful at it, right? Defense right. is where, you know, it's they're going to either win or lose, and they've been flying around. The effort level has been, has been high. The execution level has been high. I've, I've been impressed, David. No, no, no question. And I think we saw that when they first went to the ultra-small ball, mm-hmm. and they played, mm-hmm. they beat the Lakers out in L.A., mm-hmm. you know, and that was – an eye-opener to me. Right. And then so for them to do that and then be able to do the same coming back here against Milwaukee, I thought was was very impressive. What, that, what I like about Houston right now, and I've liked about them really, the you know, this whole small ball thing is that they don't quit, Was I mean, they've got right. a lot of mental toughness. They can take some shots from opposing teams and come back. And they took, whether again, yeah. the Lakers and the Bucks both gave them good shots. Yep. And they came back from them they and they didn't toughness. quit. Yep. You know, the thing I've said about Houston is the same thing I'll continue to say. 
I don't think they will lose because they're playing small ball. I don't think that's why they will. What What's vulnerable about them is that they are playing small ball. I think most of the league's playing small ball. It's just that Houston doesn't play that one big that everybody else plays. Right. Everybody plays four guards in a big now, yeah, yep. you know, basically, yep. right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? What's gonna what I what I worry about if I'm Houston again is is what I've said is that accidental injury, that that elbow to PJ Tucker's head when he's trying to box out a big guy trying to grab a rebound. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just that taking that charge and you hit your head and have a concussion that you're not you know when you're taking a charge from a big guy as opposed to a guard and and what happens there. So that to me is the one thing I would worry about more than anything if I were Houston. Not that they can't play 48 minutes and beat good teams playing the way they're playing. It's that accident, you know, that right. injury that that you weren't expecting Facts. that happens when a big guy hits a little guy. You know yep. what I mean? That's just it's just basketball. Nobody's doing it on purpose. It just happens. And to me that's what I would worry about. But in terms of the the production, I mean, you knew they could score. The issue was could they defend? And and as long as Tucker holds up and Covington hold up, yeah, I guess they can defend, you know. And so that's where where it looks like to me. I've been impressed by them. Obviously, Toronto looks good. I didn't expect anything different from Toronto. Um, They've been really impressive so far. I certainly right now – the way looks, I'm they see- look great, and, look, and I'm not gonna look, lie, I did predict really that when we had Coach Nurse on. I was telling y'all, yeah, they're yeah, yeah, hit the ground running because yeah. this team is is just, they're relentless. <laughs> like there's yes. no other way to they put keep it. coming, <laughs> they keep coming, and I'm you know given that that Philly's been so disappointing coming out the gate, I can't you know I was kind of thinking well maybe Philly is the, the the dark horse that can come in and. And challenge one of these two teams in the East, but right now I don't see it. Wise, frankly, I think there's a gulf between Milwaukee, Toronto, and the rest of the East right now. Yeah, I mean, I also it, see it. it. Feels I don't like see anybody that I, with the way you know the Sixers are sputtering. Um, the Heat or the yeah. Heat. I think the Heat are similar to Toronto and the the intensity and the focus. I just think offensive talent wise, they just don't have it collectively to really you know, push somebody. And and so I would have yeah. to agree with you. Indiana's bang, banged up. I, I would have to I would have to agree with you. Toronto and Milwaukee just seem like to be the class of the East for sure. I mean as you know, I, I just always feel like um when you're talking about young guys that have not been in those playoff situations and it has nothing to do with their talent or their toughness or anything like that. But, you know, Duncan Robinson's never been in a playoff right. series yep. before. You know what I mean? Kendrick Nunn hasn't played playoff games at this level. Tyler Hero hadn't played playoff games at this level. Maybe they'll all be great. But my 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 history indicates that young guys tend to struggle to play great night in and night out once the playoffs start. When they get the full attention, the full defensive attention of, of the opposition, they, they tend to struggle to be consistent. That's why you get that's why playoff experience matters, because you have to go through those things. But we'll see. Maybe they'll be. Maybe they'll surprise us all. But yeah, I definitely agree that it's to me the East is Toronto, Milwaukee's to lose. I don't see anybody else. Uh, the Clippers have been very good so far. I have seen nothing to indicate to me that they won't be right there They're at the end with there. the Lakers. They're going to be there. They're going to be there. And and you know um, and, and, and because the alternative is what are we talking? About? I mean, aside from Houston, of course, who looks impressive, but Denver and. The Mavs and I, what are we? Utah. Utah. I mean, like, what are we yeah. to make of these guys? You know, I mean, I think they're good. Yeah, but I don't good. I, I right. wouldn't be scared if no, I were no, 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 either LAT. No, definitely you know not. I mean? Quaking like, I would, with boots, but absolutely want to talk to you, Da, about 
you know, the other part of this is sort of the messaging of the movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to lie to you. I come into this very, very wary and tired because it's hard to separate the NBA as this predominantly black league of players from the fact that the NBA is still in a corporate entity for all intents and purposes. And there's sort of a clumsiness and a clunkiness to how corporations express, you know, their um, solidarity with civil um, unrest, right? Uh, so some of it makes me feel uneasy, but at the same time, man, listening to Jalen Brown in that post game just talk about the anthem and the author of the anthem and the things that we just go along with just cause, just cause of, you know, just, just cause it's what we do. And to know that dude is like 21, 22 years old and to be that on it and with it, um, I'm not being, you know, over the top and melodramatic when I say it made me a little bit emotional um, to see that from a young star in the league, a guy who's, let's face it, man, he's going to be a leader in out in the world, you know, in the future. You know what I'm saying? And it's really cool to see that, man, as, as, as cynical as I can be about all corporate messaging, period. Just I just am so wary about the marriage of capitalism and, you know, a uh, uh, movement politics, you know what I'm saying? But man, I'm sorry, man. It's, it's hard for me not to be impressed by uh, 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 Jalen Brown, man. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Jalen, you know, and what he talked about with the anthem. Cause again, you feel like was when you've been doing this for a while, you feel like you've written about all of this before, mm -hmm. right? Like you feel like, <laughs> and nobody was paying attention. And uh, you know, I, I remember, and this was not that long ago when I was still at NBA, you know, at, at NBA.com and working for Turner, I wrote a column about the anthem. You wow. know, it was just a few years ago. This was, you know, and it was all about how the anthem is a political song. <laughs> it's a completely right. political song. Right. And if you stand for it, you're committing a political act. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And it was all about that's, that third verse. I'm shit, so glad he mentioned that. that yeah. Nobody, I'm so happy you said that is the acknowledgement, DA. That standing for the in solidarity with the flag is a political act. It of course just it is. is. <laughs> so don't tell me that sitting down is political. So is standing right. up, dude. Right. They're both political. Yep. I'm okay with all the political exactly. acts. That's my, that's my point. Exactly. I don't care. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. I doesn't bother, it doesn't me. bother so me. So that to me way. is. Yeah, and that's what, what drives me crazy. But he mentioned the third stanza of the anthem, which nobody talks about because we don't sing it. It's like the third right. the third stanza of lift every voice and sing. Nobody right. sings it. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> unless, you, unless you're on that eight-hour Sunday joint at the church. You know right, what I'm saying? Like right, nobody knows right. the third verse. Right. And, it, and it's all about, basically it's about slaves that decided to fight for the British. Mm. And there's a whole history. And this is part of what I wrote about in this wow. piece that I wrote a couple of years ago. <laughs> Essentially, what, what the British did, both in the Revolutionary War and during the War of 1812, was they went to slaves and said, if you come join us and fight on our side, when the war is over, we will give you land. They actually did. And they actually did. <laughs> right. They actually did. Right. They resettled. Hundreds of U.S. slaves wow. in Trinidad after the War of 1812. They kept their word and said, we're going to do, you know, we said you're going to do this. Right. And so they did. And so what happened was you had a number of former slaves fight for the British. 
And in the third stanza of the national anthem, Francis Scott Key, who was, let's be real, was a slaveholder and had this kind of tortured relationship to slavery. He defended both slave, free slaves and slave owners. He was on both sides of the issue. Um, he talked about freedom for black people, but then he said black people were subhuman. It's just really weird. This, uh, this really crazed right. kind of schizophrenic thing about it. But he talks about the hireling and the slave. And the hireling and the slave were these mercenaries and these ex-slaves that fought for the British. And he's taking them to task and saying, we beat you too, and that's and that was great, and we hate you, essentially. <laughs> and so that's why people who study this anthem will tell you this is a political song. Political. This, is a poli- this is a song about politics, you know? Yeah. And so to, to ignore that and to, to put your head in the sand and say that this song is about freedom, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, you may, you may interpret it as, a, as about freedom, but what it's about is we won, you lost, yeah. you know? So, um, and so, you know, and that's what we're continue to talk about. And so I'm glad Jalen brought it up. I'm glad that people got a little bit of understanding about what that song is all about. And um, I'm glad Swin Cash is going to be on in a, few, in a couple of minutes. So I'm happy about that. And um, we will come right back after this quick break. We will have on Swin Cash to talk about messaging to talk about her journey to talk about being part of great cultures to talk about winning and to talk of course about zion well sports at least most of them are back and it's time for you not to miss the exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season get all access to the athletics in-depth coverage of everything that's going on in the world of sports get the expert analysis in-depth stories and breaking news in what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. It is so great to see the NBA back. It is so great to see the WNBA back. It's great to see hockey back. I was watching my Caps the other night play against Tampa Bay. NASCAR's back. We got a major in the PGA this week in golf. We've got so many things online. Baseball's trying hits and starts, but I saw Judge hit another one out the other night. And of course, we'll see about football, but so many sports are on their way back. So don't miss any of it right now. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription this week. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash NBA show for 40% off an annual subscription. And we hope to see you there. And joining us right now, I am so happy, Waz. Waz, this makes me happy. This is a good day. Uh, In a a sea of bad days, this is a good day for me. Uh, We have, and I am so delighted she's able to join us right now. She is such a legend in the game. Two Olympic gold medals, four-time WNBA All-Star, two-time MVP, three-time WNBA champion. She's just... Everything and now the New Orleans Pelicans have had her there for about a year as vice president of basketball operations and team development. The great 
Swin Cash joins us. Swin, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I you know I love and respect you so much. And Waz, I'm just happy you guys invited me on the show. So I'm happy to be here. Of course. And we're going right, to make sure Mike put that good round of applause sound on it. <laughs> because it's, it's well-deserved. Seriously. Absolutely. And also, long live the biggies. It's a shame they turned it into some, I don't even know what the hell it is. Don't, don't worry about it, Waz. We're going back. UConn is going back this year. Happy, to, happy we're going back home. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful because I was tired of some Jesuit association or whatever the hell they was doing. I was confused. Like, what is this? This is not my Big East. No, no. It's, it's just, just the, the hatred, hatred, right? The, the hatred. That's what we grew up on, right? You need the rivalry back. You need it. Exactly. Exactly. So, Swin, I'm going to ask you to indulge you for a couple minutes. I was telling Waz a story, and you've heard it because you were there, obviously. So I was telling Waz a story about a couple of years ago when I was still at Turner, and we were doing the MLK game in, in Memphis, and it was the Lakers and the Grizzlies. And um, I was explaining that what they had done with the Civil Rights Museum there, which is they basically gutted what was left of the Lorraine Motel where, where Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968, except for room 306 and room 307, which is where he and Ralph Abernathy and their party stayed the last night of his life. Uh, they had stayed in the Lorraine Motel many times over the years. That's where they stayed when they went to Memphis. So they have built the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis around what's left of the Lorraine Motel. Now I had taken, and they have tours. I had taken the tour before, many years before, and it's a very moving tour. They have, was an actual bus from the Montgomery boycott in 1956, an actual actual bus. And they tell you to sit in the middle. And then as soon as you sit down, you hear the bus driver's voice say, get up, move to the back. You know the rules. It's just arresting. It's just, it's terrific. And it's awful. And you just understand what it's like. And so you take the tour and they go through the whole arc of the modern civil rights movement. The tour ends at room 306 and room 307 of the Ray Motel, which both of which have been maintained the way they were the night that King stayed there, April 3rd, 1968. They've heard, they've sealed them basically. <clears throat> now, when I took the tour the first time, that's when the tour ends. The tour ends, you go to room 306, you go to 307, you make a right, you exit the building. But subsequent to that, they had, they had had a restoration, a renovation rather, of the, of the motel, and part of the renovation was was that you could go out onto the balcony where King was actually assassinated, and you could go step on the balcony. And the tour guide, it's a very narrow back balcony, by the way, the tour guide explains to you that the FBI determined that James Earl Ray fired from a flop house, basically, across the, not even the street, it's across like an alleyway from the Lorraine Motel. It's 207 feet. It's not very far away. And you don't realize how far, you don't realize how close he was. And you realize what happened, how, how, what, when he shot the rifle shot, what, what the damage it did to Dr. King. And so I'm listening to him and I'm looking down on the floor, looking down on the pavement. And you just realize you just, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed, was. And I started, I didn't start crying. I started sobbing. <laughs> I started to sob in the middle, on the, on the balcony of the Ray Motel. I mean, full on, head in both hands, sobbing. Nah, I hear you, D.A., because I'm a crier, too, so. I'm a big crier. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm from a family of criers. <laughs> so, and so I'm sobbing, and I'm feeling like a certain kind of way, and I feel this hand on my shoulder. And I turn around, 
and it is Swin Cash <laughs> saying it will be okay. Let it out. It's okay. <laughs> and I tell you, I have never and will never, as long as I'm breathing, forget that moment of you reaching out to somebody that you knew was stricken, literally stricken with grief and, and sadness. And I cannot thank you enough for that doing that while you had your your child in your arms which i'll never forget <laughs> you know it's just amazing to me it just shows you yet another reason why women are so much better than yes. men in everything so <laughs> no it yes. was it was such a powerful powerful moment and i was so happy to share it with everyone and i think you know the most interesting thing about that da is i think we all were kind of whether you were silent in that moment, whether you were, you know, sobbing, whether you were trying to hold it back, I think there was just emotions flowing. And, and if you recall, we remember you remember looking down, and it was this one part of the um, the pavement um, yeah. where it was stained. And we were asking the questions, and he was explaining how even over the years and renovation and everything, like some of the blood that was still within, you know, was, was there. And it's just yes. like why it's turned to color. And I think it was just so many different things at that moment. And when I just saw you, like it, it was nothing about words. Sometimes all you need to know is that somebody else is there and they feel and understand what you're going through. So I'm, I'm happy we're able to share that moment. And I'm glad that we actually had an opportunity to do that. Yeah, no, it was, it was one of the biggest, most meaningful days of my life um, because we had spent the morning at St. Jude, you know, talking to, they had arranged for us to talk to some of the kids that are there. And it was just a, it was just a remarkably powerful day. And you just feel so, um, what's the word? It's not small, but you just understand that there's bigger things in the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Humbling is the exact right word. Yes. Yeah. And I was going to say, that, you know, I think that MBA and, and Memphis and give credit to them and to the museum, they do a great job of really celebrating and, and having that game and that moment and what it means, not only for that city, but just for, for, for us as for black people, just in general, preserving that history. Um, right. it, it's powerful. If you haven't been there, you're listening right now. You need to definitely get there. Uh, it's definitely a place to visit. You know, I'm, I'm so happy DA started off the show with this in this vein because I think it relates to our moment right now, right? And, you know, I think you're especially suited to, to speak to this, Swin, because it's not just that, you know, you're a black person, but you're a black woman, you're a public figure, you're a striking person, right? And so it's not like you get to move around in the world sort of unnoticed, you know, anonymously as this black person, like it's, it's something that you carry with you all the time. So I would imagine that it's, you know, something that's front of mind for somebody like you in, you know, the way your life has turned out. And so I'm very interested to know, you know, how you feel in this moment that we're currently in both, you know, professionally, how the league that you're a part of, well, I guess you're a part of both leagues when it comes to the NBA <laughs> and the WNBA, the leagues that you're a part of, and, you know, as it relates to this moment, I'm very curious how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Well, I think the biggest thing for me has been um, to stay connected to, to who I am as a person, uh, my values, my principles, um, and my integrity. And um, I, I knew um, there was always going to be a question mark whenever I took this job um, because I came in already 
I mean, I don't think there's anybody else probably in a, in a front office that I can think of that has had the, the career path and has been outspoken and kind of on the front lines when it comes to social issues and then mm-hmm. sitting and pivot from media, from, from playing into a front office um, where you don't necessarily like a lot of times you have to be politically correct and people have walked that line. And so I knew coming in that there was going to be a spotlight, I would say, on me in regards to how I would react to certain things socially. And what I did, to be honest with you, I, I literally had a conversation with my husband. I prayed about it. And I said, I have to stay true to who I am. Because at the end of the day, if I'm only here a year and I'm too much because I'm going to speak truth um, to power, I'm going to speak truth about, you know, who I am and what I what I would love to see for the players and what I can do, um, then so be it. But I, I never wanted to come and feel like I had to be less than myself in order to do a job that I felt I was qualified to do. So um, when I get asked the question now, a lot of times people are like, wow, like, so you know, you're still doing interviews and you're talking about these social justice issues. Like, how does that work with your job? And so it's good. For, I think when we talk about representation matters, it's good for people to see that people that work in a front office, they'll work on teams like that we care. And so now it's almost feeling like it's it's the, the right thing to do. But I'm, I'm glad that I that I stood, you know, firmly on who I was and never had to choose. And having a boss like David Griffin, who's very supportive of not only myself, but our players and our messaging and what we stand for. Um, it's important to have allies and, and people that you work with that actually understand that. Um, and that makes yeah. it a little bit easier for me. You have, you've, you've been in so many, you know, championship cultures, you know, at UConn and in the WNBA, obviously. So I always wonder what people mean when they say culture, because you are a culture setter. So what is it that, leads to good culture and how do you avoid bad culture <laughs> yeah uh, this is my, this is a really good question i guess after after a year of um after a year of listening learning um applying uh just i think that the biggest thing that i can say when it comes to culture it is a um 365, you know, 24 seven type of mentality. And, and, and I got that not only starting in high school because my coach had a football background uh, when it came to how we trained and how he mentally tried to, you know, make us tougher in certain ways. But then when I got to UConn, um, coach Ariyama didn't miss anything. So it, it was like, we always were chasing perfection, understanding you'll never get there, but the bar is already so high that when you look around, there's not many people that can breathe in that kind of air, right? So it's the, it's the discipline to the culture. Um, and that's down to details. I mean, Griff probably will, will tell you, um, he, he, Griff is great. I can come to, to Griff with something that's so small and it could be the smallest thing that either needs to change or we have to either do better in this area or we can be better. Um, and he, you know, he's like, what do we do? How are you going to do it? What are you thinking about? He wants to hear from me, but sometimes I know he's like, oh my gosh, when that doesn't matter. But for me, the way that I see it, it matters because on day 360, when I need you to be doing those things, then right. it's, a, it's, it's religious, it's, it's a ritual, it's a routine. Um, so that's when people talk about culture. I mean, you can say the word culture, but I'm about driving the culture, like, Things that, like, how you do business. Like, that's my line. I mean, guys will tell you, I say it a lot. Like, it's how we do business. What do we stand for? Like, 
When I when I played on teams that had championship culture, when I played at UConn, when we walked through the door, you knew exactly what you were getting. You knew how we were going to compete. You knew how we were going to walk in the door. You knew from like from the headbands down to the hairstyles. You knew mm-hmm. how we were coming to prepare to do business. Um, and so it's just it's it's the same way on different levels. And here in the NBA, it's just figuring out how we drive it, you know, in a different way. You know, a lot of people like to throw the word diversity around. And to some people, it means kind of checking off a box, right? It's like, right. all right, I got my Asian person. I got my woman. I got I got a Negro. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, you know, <laughs> like, or or better yet, they'll be like, well, this person's half Asian and Negro and a woman. I'm, I got everything in one person, right? Um, <laughs> and so they kind of feel like they're check, checking off boxes where I feel like, you know, what you need is a diversity of thought or diversity of worldview, right? Like you talk about your background and how it informs how you see things. Like it's like I, I, I did play at UConn and win championships there. I did win championships at the professional level in the WNBA. I did come together with a group of all-stars and, and win Olympic gold medals twice. Um, Do you think that diversity of thought is something that's valued within the Pelicans organization, you know, aside from you being a woman, which, you know, it's obvious that that matters because this is that the NBA and let's face it, there haven't been women who have come before you and ascend to the heights professionally that you've already achieved. Um, you know, I just want to know if the Pelicans are somewhere that you think is they value a diversity of thought. Yes. Um, and I can say that, um, Clearly uh, that I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it's, it's not only fun to work here, um, but why we get up every day trying to go harder because we, we like to have diversity of thought in the room when you're not only making decisions, but um, as I told, you know, Griff, when I got here, like, I'm always going to tell you exactly what I think. You won't always either agree or even listen to that or may go in another direction. (laughs) But I'm not right. doing my job if I'm not giving you that perspective, right? And so right. we've all probably at some point been in those rooms where you're sitting there and people are talking and agreeing with the person who's leading the meeting and you know he's wrong, but then y'all get on WhatsApp <laughs> or a text and you're talking about, yo, this is a crazy meeting. Right. I never feel like I need to get on any text because I'm going to say what I'm thinking right there because, you know, in our meetings, Griff's the kind of person where he's asking, you know, our assistant that, you know, is either taking notes or writing or whatever. What do you think about this? We're on the draft board. We're talking about this, talking about that, because he wants to get as much information as possible. So although I'm here and I'm working and I'm you know working alongside him and with Trajan, I'm also learning, you know, how, how he leads and operates in different ways. And, you know, it, it, further down a career for me, if, if I'm ever sitting in that seat, what it would look like. But yes, I do. I do think that we value that here. And I think that's one of the reasons why, when we started hiring, if you look at even from our coaching staff and bringing in Teresa Witherspoon, who who also is, you know, a Hall of Fame coach and, and you know, player and star right. in her own right. But she brings that diversity of how her messaging and her how she delivers to our players. That's that's the other part of it. Not only diversity of thought in the room and you're making decisions and talking, but with your coaching staff, you need to have diversity as well, because different players react to different coaches in different ways. And and I, along those lines, I mean, I always wonder when someone's been a, a great player at, at multiple levels, how they find their voice after they're done playing, because it's a very different voice. And it's it's a voice that you may not 
what you certainly don't have a lot of experience with when you're while you're playing. You're you're thinking like a player. So how did that come about for you after you were done playing? How did you find this voice? This is how I'm going to this is how I'm going to help players and help organizations that are looking for excellence. How did that come about? Well, a couple things, but one is because the reason, one of the reasons why I took this job is because I used to have conversations late night, whether I was, you know, if I'm working on TNT or CBS, I'm covering college or NBA, I'll come back home and have these discussions with my husband. And I'm like, man, they should be doing this, like on this team, or they should be doing that. <laughs> da, da, da. And he, so literally when I, this opportunity came about, he was like, well, you always talking about what you would do. Uh, here's the opportunity to do it. And I was like, yo, you from New York. This is why I don't like you right now. <laughs> no disrespect was, but I'm saying. His whole New York came no, out. That's, and that's, I was like, that's the thing. Stop talking. Do something. Yes. Like two, I'm like, two minutes ago, you didn't have that, that, that Haitian New York accent. Now you got the right. Haitian New York accent with me. Okay. Wait, hold on, Swanky. Uh, hold on. Not to cut you off. Your husband's Haitian? Yes, he oh, is. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> sac passe. Yes, sac passe. Oh, 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 oh. oh, you're in wheelhouse oh, now, my sir. goodness. Well, tell him I said hello from another fellow Haitian. That's amazing. It's always good to see a Haitian doing well. This Haitian man is married to Sweet Cash. He can retire. <laughs> you are hilarious. I will, tell, I will tell them, though. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But, yeah, so that was one. And then the second thing um, I would say, VA, is I always, as I was a player, I was also one of those players, whether I was, you know, starting player, whether I was playing limited minutes, when I even I, when I got into year 15 in my career, I always yeah. valued the the part of what went into helping a player reach their full potential. Right. And so right. whether it's helping a younger player, whether it's helping a star player, seeing how they have to, you know, be somewhat selfless. And I also got an opportunity firsthand um, to learn in the front office. You know, and experience right. talking to GMs while I was playing, talking to people, the presidents and teams. And I would always be scratching my head like, well, why don't y'all see and value this? Because this is important to players. So one of the things, how I applied that right away when I came here, and, and you see with my title, a lot of times, a, a lot of people have player development as far as your title. And right. part of our thing is team development, because it's not important for us only to make sure our players are taken care of on and off the court. How we do business applies to our medical staff that we have here. It applies to trainers, to coaches, like onboarding their families. We want everybody to feel like they're a part of this. And if we're going to yeah. say family, that doesn't mean that just because our biggest asset that are our players, we only want to take care of them. So if you came down here to New Orleans and you talk to some of our coaches, wives or our trainers, they feel so engaged and part of the process. That's how we retain good talent and, and make right, the culture right. and drive the culture. So that's, you know, how I've, I've learned and then how I tried to apply once I got. How does one sit quietly when one sees something that goes against one's gut? How does that, is it, is it difficult, I guess is what I'm getting at. Is it difficult to, to speak up and say, I hear what you're saying, but I, here's why I think you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I know it, 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 it's, just, I just wonder if that's difficult at all, or if that's something that you just go, Hey, that's why you brought me here. Yeah. That's why you brought me here. Right. No, you know, you know what it is, is that people think that outspoken people are always, and we, and I get it just because I'm a black woman. They think immediately mm -hmm. everything is, ah, ah, I'm jumping. 
when right. the reality Anger. is is that I am very analytical and I'm thinking and yeah. and I've already spent time on a team. Part of being a captain and being in sports and being on a team sport is that you figure out what makes everybody tick. So one of the things when I talked earlier about listening and learning, when I got here, it wasn't me telling everybody what I knew or to show you how I can do stuff. It was me analyzing you, figuring out what makes you tick. How can I communicate with you? How do I get my messages through? When when are you at your most you know irritated moment? How do I you know deescalate that and then be able for you to hear my message? So being a really good communicator is important. I feel like not only for my job but in sports in general. And when you have you know whether it's front office, coaching staff, medical staff, if people are really closed in and not open to being very um, communicative as, as far as talking and engaging, it's difficult. And there's some people I can, I can honestly say is if, if there's times when things are really intense, I know when to let it breathe and get, give space. And I also know when they come back and people know I come with a good, good heart, they understand that I'm only going to tell you my opinion. And it may not be always right. Like, I don't think everything that I say is the gospel. But I do know right. that it comes from a genuine place. So if I tell you and your job is to analyze and make a decision, I'm hoping that you're equipped to make that decision with all the information. See, I, I love talking to you because you do clearly possess a certain level of confidence that's obviously not unearned, right? I think a lot of times we, we see people in leadership positions with confidence that they have no business having, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I just want to know what are some of the challenges that you faced, you know, in your early stages in the job, right? Cause uh, with anything, any new challenge that you get, you, you don't know that part of the, you know, the nerves or the, the excitement is about the unknown. What are some of the challenges that you faced you know, early on in your tenure here with the with the Pelicans? Um, I, I would say people trying to, to understand if, um, without saying it, but trying to understand if I was just the token hire or if I was equipped to do the job. Um, right. And so I don't think anybody would ever speak and say that outright, but there was a lot of, like, I, I'm good at reading, you know, body language. I'm good at stepping the room. I'm good at, you know just even through our communication, how you respond, like I'm, I'm good at reading those things. So for me, I knew that some of that would come and I just, you know, was about let's do the work. Um, I had to, we had to hit the ground running. We didn't have a lot of time to implement the things that we would want to implement. Um, but at the same time, I knew that we all were coming in from coming on board from a good place of we had to build a foundation so I think that probably was the one thing that would be a little bit of a shocker is everybody thinks that once you get hired, um, that, oh, everything's peaches and cream and everybody loves you. Hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> I mean, this is also a competitive field. Like there's people True. who, you know, look at me and they're like, well, she didn't start in video room and work her way up. Like she doesn't know about scouting this way. She doesn't know about that. Um, and I will tell you one thing that Isaiah Thomas shared with me, mm -hmm. even when I was playing before I went into the front office for two years with him. Um, he, he always said to me, you're going to probably do whatever you want to do and end up in politics. And I kept saying to him, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but he, he kept saying to me is you always, you're a champion. You've always won. Some people, you know, everybody's path is different. Always lean back on what you know about the game, what you know about people, because that's your strongest suit. So mm -hmm. he never let somebody discredit you. 
because you didn't take the traditional path that other people necessarily took. You didn't have to play those games because you actually played the games. Um, right, and right. So that was so a powerful message for me. And I always lean back on that whenever there, there seems to be, you know, whether we're talking about scouting or doing this or that. Right now, currently, we're in the process of draft interviews. And, you know, how I view draft interviews may be completely different from somebody else, which doesn't make their, their way better or my way better. But let's sit and talk about it so I can see what you're looking at versus what I'm looking at as an ex-player and as somebody now who not only evaluates talent, but I evaluate character right now in the position mm-hmm. I'm in. I mean, it's not like you, any of those grinders haven't had positions to trick off the job anyway. So it's like, I mean, give me a break. They don't have a monopoly on on the knowledge. But I do want to stay on the tokenism because, again, and and, and, I don't, and we don't want to harp on this, but it is because you are a black woman, right? And, you know, you hear the concept of a glass ceiling. And oftentimes when you're growing up black, you hear about you got to work twice as hard. Or it's like, you know, they give you this opportunity as a woman. You can't fuck it up. You know what I'm saying? Or else they're never going to let another swing cash through if this doesn't, if this doesn't happen, right? Um, is that something that you carry with you or are you just operating in a sense that I can't think about those things? I just have to move forward. Um, I think that I would be putting my head in the sand if I didn't say that those things are there, that I don't get questioned about them, that um, there aren't other young you know, women and men that are looking to, to see. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I was pretty, pretty, I think I probably was like 10 when my grandma and my mom told me, look, when you go out into the world, they're going, they're going to see you and you're going to have two strikes against you already. And I'm looking at them like, what? Like Hmm. one, you're black and two, you're a woman. That's never an excuse because you got what it takes inside of you. And so they would just constantly pour into me because they always were preparing me, telling me about what the, how the world would be me. So I think that's why I'm so I'm not really sensitive when it comes to coming into rooms or being the only one in the room. My job right now, taking this job right here, is to be as helpful, impactful, and successful as I can be because I don't believe in just opening doors. I believe that doors should be revolving doors where there's multiple people, multiple women that are coming through who are capable of doing the work. Um, and I also think there's a there's a level we talk about um, even, you know, misogyny when it comes to um you know i've heard somebody ask well if a woman has a girlfriend is she better equipped to be around all these men versus somebody that you know may be a woman mm. who's heterosexual and i'm like are we really still having those conversations in mm. 2020 mm. like i'm i'm good because i'm married and have a kid but it, like right it's, right it's but oh these are oh the, like if guys, you were I'm single you might be too thirsty is like yeah, i don't understand I'm I might tempt, I might tempt the, you know, an 18 year old. Like, like what, what, where are your heads at? Like, and that's, and that's the reality that women have to live in. And it's so crazy because, um, you know, and if it's not that, let me give you the other side of that is, oh, well, what are you gonna, you know, I got here, wasn't even here a year. And I was going to ask the question. So like, what's next? And I was like, is this like, how do y'all operate in these jobs? Like I came here to do a job. My contract is this, like, and right. they're like, oh, well, you're not trying to get to the next. And I'm like, well, maybe that's how you think or maybe mm. have, that's the game. But right now, and I'm just in this in this space. So it's really interesting to learn all these nuances, I would say, that women, we haven't necessarily been exposed to because there haven't been many of us in this space. Um, but even internally, women throughout the NBA, like I, I talked to some of the women who asked me, 
hey, are you in on these conversations? Like, you know, how do you guys do the draft? We don't get any information till afterwards. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I was in there just talking to Griff and Trajan and we go through different things. And yeah. so it's it's the workload of what you do, the rooms that you're in, the, the information you're privy to. Um, it changes in dynamics. And I think it shouldn't be based off the fact if you're a woman, it's can you do the job? Are you contributing to the success of the team? And if I'm yeah. not, then I wouldn't be here. You know what's so funny about that, guys, is that I, I you know, I, I, I always scoff at the, the notion that women can't be in management positions because, I don't know, dudes don't want to listen to women. I, I always hear about patriarchal societies and all this other crap, DA. I don't know about y'all, but, like, in my neighborhood – uh, we were taking orders from women. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, whether it be your own mom or aunts or your na- your, your homie who was your neighbor, his mom and, and his grandma was telling you what to do, okay? Like, and you always hear these guys, specifically in sp- professional sports, talk about the, 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 the parent or the teacher or the whoever or the guidance counselor who was a woman who helped mm-hmm. them, who guided them. Throughout, you know, various stages of their lives, I was just always think that's a crock of crap. Because, I mean, even in my my own crib right now, I'll tell you, I'm taking orders from my partner. <laughs> so it's just like I I just don't get that that line of thinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one thing I will share with you you all is that um, I, I remember back when I was with the union and and and, and Dia, you remember this everything that happened and came out with the MBPA and. You know, it's easy always say when alphabet boys show up, when FBI came through and it was the Billy Hunter era and all that was happening. um, We as a union, the MVPA, WMVPA, were going through this whole transition of a new hire and executive director. And I remember sitting in the the room with Ruth Riley and Tamika Ketching um, because we were leading the women's side for our executive committee. And our guys, Chris Paul, all of them, they said, hey, we want you... We want you to guys to be in and listen, you know, as we're trying to hire this new executive director. And I'll never forget being in that in there and listening to the interview with Michelle Roberts and the other gentlemen who were down to the last two. Yeah. And I went over to our guys and I said, if you don't hire that woman right there, I don't know what's wrong with you. I tell you right now, y'all need a new direction. But she was so powerful. And I look at what she's done with Chris and with the executive committee and where they are now. You can't yeah. be afraid to put women in leadership positions just because maybe it's not the popular thing to do or you're worried about women leading men. If you believe it or not, just like you said it was, a lot of our league in general have really close ties when it comes to their mothers and understanding well, what they mean yeah. to our society. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. I, I do want to I want to ask you real quick about the team, which is in the which is in this this odd position in this bubble, right? <laughs> You're trying, you're trying to, you have a young group. Yeah, I know you've got some vets like JJ, but you've got a young, you know, a young core of Ingram and Ball and obviously Zion, right? And you're trying to get them to the playoffs, but you're also trying to just continue their development because they're not fully formed yet. And I just wonder about that dichotomy of trying to do both of those things at the same time and the difficulty of that. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult um, just going in and you're fully healthy. Um, Then you get bit a little bit with the injury bug or little naggy injuries here or there. And, you know, we're always going to lead with our medical staff. And um, I think Aaron Nelson and his team do a remarkable job. He's the best. He's the best. (laughs) Business for sure. 
Um, but the thing that, that mm-hmm. I like about us is that um, our messaging to our guys is consistent. You know, we went down there, obviously we want to make the playoffs. We're going to make that push. But it's we're, we're in this marathon of where we want to be. And um, we understand we're not going to risk anything. And I think Griff, Griff has made this clear. Um, this for, uh, as we like to say, the, the popcorn society right now, this microwave uh, mentality of of the success. Um, but we have balanced it pretty well. Um, I'm in constant contact with those guys down there, Griffin trade, you know, doing a great, great job with Alvin and his team. And, you know, really sometimes splitting up the time, getting guys to work out, getting guys to the PD work, but at the same time, making sure you're getting the rest along with the protocols. And we've had protocols for each and every player. And as long as we're following those kind of protocols from the medical and then the development standpoint with, with Joe and his team on the PD side, um, yeah. We're okay with that. Um, right now, you know, it's it's really about moving forward and trying to get better every game. It's, it's must win for us. The guys understand that. But you want to do it healthy. You want to do it uh, collectively. I mean, come on, Swing. Give the people what they want. Unleash the monster, <laughs> man. Let my man play. Let him get out there and kill I'm gonna, people. Waz, Waz, I'm going to say this. Swing can't say this. All right? I'm going to say, I'm gonna say it. I'm going to say it for Waz. This year doesn't nah, it matter. Doesn't, it <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't it really matter. Why's gonna be that? Why's gonna be that guy? Why's gonna be that guy? Like put him out there, do whatever. And if anything were to happen, oh my goodness! What were they thinking? Oh my god! They'd be killing you. What are were you they kidding me? Thinking? They would be killing fire you. Them are you? <laughs> oh, fire them all! Exactly. How could they put that boy out there? They know he's hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh my god! You can't win. Yeah. You can't win. So I wanted. I wanted to. Um, I know you have to go. So let me. Uh, I just wanted to be able to talk to you really quickly. Um, I, I love what you're doing back in the hometown, McKeesport. Uh, really, it's it's important. Uh, I wanted to make sure you had an opportunity to talk about building blocks because I know that's something that's a big deal for you back home. And what that is, is you're trying to, correct me if I'm wrong, you're working to get um, low-cost housing to people in that area and in, around the state of Pennsylvania. But how is that working and how do you do that? What's the process that you go through with that? Yeah, so my mom for uh, almost 20 years now worked with um, McKeesport Housing Authority. And so she already had somewhat of a background in my uncles as well. And so what we try to do is really just try to purchase um, some of these low homes or rehab homes and put people into them, um, give them the ability to even get back on their feet. We have some people that have come through and then they kind of moved on, um, mostly even uh, starter homes as well. But one of the projects we're working on right now with uh, Cash Building Blocks and my nonprofit, Cash for Kids, um, we actually just signed to buy this building um, that needs some rehab work, but it's going to be able to create a community center that's focused, especially on our black and brown youth um, okay. and different initiatives through social justice, uh, because there's not there's none that's in the community. Uh, there's nothing for people of color to say, hey, you know what? We're tired of police brutality. We want to try to get together. We want the NC, you know, the I mean the the NAACP to come in. They you have to go ask to get somebody's venue because there's nothing that's there. There's no job right. opportunities. So creating this community space, the computer lab that's free to the community, to the kids, um, partnering with some universities to bring in resources. That's where where our uh, 
where our kind of thought process is right now. Um, we haven't announced that yet, but that's going to be coming over the next two weeks or so. We should be having mm-hmm. a release out, and I'm going to really ask our community and friends of mine and different people to really step up and help and pitch in in any way that you can um, because this space is needed, um, not only for mental wellness right now for our community, but also um, to provide opportunity and resources. So that's what I'm working on. Thank you for asking. I appreciate you guys. And um, even when I'm far away, you know, my family's still there. I've, I've yeah. had cousins murdered. I've had to deal with police brutality in my own family. And so it doesn't mean that we're immune to any of it. And so it's important for me not to only get back in New Orleans, but also back there. You know, I, I think it's dope what you guys are doing because people talk about the wealth gap that's growing in this country all the time. And what that means is that, you know, as wages continue to stagnate, everything around you doesn't stay the same. Grocery prices don't stagnate. Rent sure as hell doesn't stagnate. And so it's really <laughs> right. cool that you guys are, you know, making it happen for people that they could live somewhere, you know, respectable and feel like, you know, I don't live in some some hole somewhere, right? Like I can right. afford to live somewhere that, that has some type of dignity. Um, and that is just the coolest thing that 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 can happen for anybody, because at the end of the day, you know, everybody needs a roof over their head. So that's really cool what you guys are doing. No, thank you so much. And, you know, we I give credit a lot to my mom, to my family, because they believe in it and they're trying to do their best. And even when I'm not there, just, you know, some of the letters and social media inboxes and stuff that we get um, is important. So thank you. And, and Swim, before we get you out of here, I have to ask you one last thing, because the people back home would kill me if I didn't ask you. <laughs> um, the, are you able to make a mean grill or a tasso or maybe some lumpy? Or, like, do you have any of that in the repertoire? <laughs> no, it's like it's so funny because I have a lot of I would say soul food uh dishes in, mm. in my repertoire. Nice. Uh, but my husband, I see when he goes home how he he's eyeing his mom's different food and stuff like that. So <laughs> the one thing I can say is I got the beans and rice down. Okay. So I'm good with yes, I, I I can do that a little bit to an extent. Um, but it's not like his mom's. He just be trying to appease me and just being like, oh, this is good, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's cool. It's, it's good that we're that's getting sweet. a start on it, man. Because, you know, as my man Michael Irving would say, we're losing recipes, y'all. We- <laughs> <laughs> Swin, I can't thank you enough. This has been wonderful. You are wonderful. Um, thank you so much. We, uh, next time we have you on, we'll talk about that WNBA energy that they're that we're getting. Talk about Maya and... and just the incredible work she's been doing and all and what the other players are doing this year. And I, I can't thank you enough for it because I know you've got a million things on your plate. I really appreciate your time. No, I appreciate you guys having me. Yes, we'll get to it. Shout out to all my WNBA and NBA brothers that are out there standing tall, staying true to the message. Um, appreciate y'all. And hopefully I'll get back here. I mean, we make our little run. DA, I can always come back in a couple weeks. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. Like you said, you're going to be there for a minute, so we'll come back. We'll double back. <laughs> Swin, thank you again. Please stay safe. Thanks, Swin. Love it. Appreciate you guys. You too. <laughs> All right. Well, as I tell you, they don't come back. No, no, you no. Know, that's that's... One of the things I love about this show, Waz, is that I get to talk to people I like to talk to. Right. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, <laughs> right, right. No, a- absolutely. Like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to lie. Every I didn't love every interview I had to do with ESPN or For TNT sure. over the years. You know, like you do them the best you can. But, you know, when it's people that you genuinely like, I just think the interviews are so much better. 
Um, and it's, you know, she's somebody that I just genuinely like. And, and, and D.A., really, there's just something to having on a strong black woman. You know? Exactly. Something, there's something to that. No question. No question. Because it's, it's such a needed voice, yes. not just in the league, in society. Yes. You know, and then you just hope that the next few months we'll, we'll see that in, writ large, you know, in our country. To understand that, um, you know, black women have been there, whether you like it or not. <laughs> they continue to be there and you know you should maybe listen to them once or twice Every now instead and of dismissing them and marginalizing them so can't thank her enough and and thank you was glad to have you back bro we missed you last week yeah um and hey for those of you who are listening please leave us a review uh we love getting those five star reviews on apple and on the other uh, podcast delivery systems that you listen to uh we'll be back next week with another one and uh we'll talk to you then see ya